So I had the chance to meet up with some friends this week. And as we were talking, we got to share some of the things that were going well over the week in the last couple of days. And they knew of some things that over the last week or so that had been going kind of rough and that I, things of life that I just didn't know what to do with and where to go and how to make some kind of good out of it. And I told them my victory for the week was I finally started to make some headway on that. I started to finally see the, the silver lining in a situation that had seemed so rough before. I told my friends, if I got to suck a lemon, I might as well get some lemonade out of it, right? You ever have one of those struggles where it's like if you got to go through it, you want it to mean something, to at least get some consolation prize for your pain and your suffering? I'm guessing nobody likes going through pain or going through difficult times or struggles just for the sake of saying they went through pain. I have often said that if you're going to pay the tuition, if you're going to suffer something, you might as well get the education out of it. You might as well get something that you get to glean out of it for going forward. Well, today we're going to check out one of Paul's most personal letters. And now this was a guy who understood lemon suck situations. He had suffered many of them himself. He lays out a whole resume of them in his letters. And he has shoved lemons in other people's mouths as well. While the words might not turn sour into sweet for us, they can help us to sort of steer our way through, just like he did for this church that was going through divisions and struggles of many different kinds. The letter comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-12. through 12. It goes like this. Therefore, since it is by God's grace we have been engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul and his team, who are the ones who planted this church probably about a year and a half before writing this letter, they're on a mission. A mission that involves sharing the glory of God as shown through Jesus Christ. We see it in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, where it says this, And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, I will admit, this can sound a bit ivory tower-ish and academic-ish. Why would they be willing, these people be willing to suffer affliction? 
for some abstract theological concept. Now, I'm a pastor and I am a geek, self-proclaimed. Am I willing to suffer shipwreck and stoning for perichoresis? Probably not. But since God's glory is kind of the engine behind Paul's work, let's put a little bit of skin on it. Take it down off the ivory towers and put it into the grassroots where we can do something with it. I'm going to go to a story of Jesus' friend who died. And Jesus actually waits before coming to the family. And he is asked by his sister, this is Lazarus' story, um, one of Jesus' closest friends, and he is asked by his sister once Jesus arrives, he's like, you could have kept him alive. Why didn't you come earlier? Why didn't you come sooner? We see the story and Jesus responds in John eleven forty, where it says this. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, maybe that's certainly not a response that we would give to somebody who was mourning the loss of their brother and maybe feeling anger in that grief. But Jesus would then go on to raise his friend from the dead with a word. So there's some kind of connection between God's glory and some serious next level raise people from the dead kind of power. There's a place where those two intersect each other. If you're up for seeing that kind of power in your life, go ahead and beat your hearts. Drop a comment. Okay, good. I'm glad to see we're on the same page. At least as far as if your heart went beating. Because if you're watching this, I'm guessing that's the case. Have you ever been told how big things can come in small packages? Guess how much power can come in, or is contained just in this one acorn. Given enough time and the right conditions, this one acorn would have the power to fill the United States of America with oak trees. How? Well, do the math. This one acorn produces a tree. Again, given the right time and right conditions, which that one tree produces a lot more acorns. Each of them can produce a tree, which produces more acorns, which you do the math ultimately can fill the United States with oak trees. Oh, except there's one biological concept that I forgot to mention in this pyramid scheme of power in this acorn. It comes out of John 12, 24. It says this, Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Hmm, maybe you don't want to see that kind of power that bad, do we? Mark Batterson has said, don't be so quick to get out of a hard situation that you don't get anything out of it. So slowly, let me kind of give you a sense of how we're doing this. We're sort of peeling back these concepts like an onion, one layer at a time. If you've ever wanted out of a struggle before seeing the benefit, first off, I get it. I There's been times... I'm just scope locked on. I just want out. I just want the pain to go away. Second, you know what? Paul gets it too. The guy who's writing this letter. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 8, he says this. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. Now, Paul of everybody out there in Bible world land, was a faithful 
blessed man at this point. He had experienced stuff that his ivory tower brain itself could not even comprehend. He'd said earlier in this chapter about being taken up into the third heaven. And what was the prize for that kind of once in a, in a lifetime, once in a history time experience? This thorn in his side, this torment. Now, thousands of PhD dissertations have been done over this concept. You know what? We still don't know what it is, exactly how it manifested in Paul's life. But we do know that Paul asked the Lord to take it away, almost begging him to take it away. Imagine, if you will, this man whom many feared. I mean, people, when he, before he had become a Christian, Christians would hear that he was coming to town and they bolted. They feared for their lives. This man whom so many feared, he's basically groveling to be free from this, whatever it is. And God responds in probably one of the most unsatisfactory ways that we could imagine. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, as this passage continues, But he, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Now, when we hear a response like that and realize that this thorn inside put this stud down on his knees, that better be some serious power that is being captured or made perfect in his weakness. But when we see the impact made by Paul's ministry, we start thinking, maybe this power actually measures up. If the power, but if the power is so great, it's like, you know what? Okay, let's just ditch the hard times all together, Lord. I get you were setting Paul up for some history-changing influence. That he would go on to be planting churches and writing letters that we would still be studying even today. Even doing dissertations on today. You know what? I don't need that kind of influence, God. I Give me... Help me have influence over a nice family, some kids that are decent citizens. And you know what? That's going to be good enough. I will take that. We can get that without the hard times, right? Come on. It's a viable question. Especially if negotiating with God were actually a legit option. But I want to snag one more of Paul's images to show how this idea works. I'm going to start off with verse 6 out of his original letter here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we have these ideas of Jesus and glory and light and power all in some way kind of working together. Okay. And we're going to couple that now with the next verse, verse 7, where it says this, but we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. So again, there's a way that this idea of the clay jar and the light start to work together. Let's see how that goes. We have, as we see in other parts of the Gospels, we have the light of the world at work in us. Let's see if I can do this without messing up the video here. How does the world see it? How does the world see this light of the world? I'm going to drop this below here. Not when the world, is, not when things are full of lollipops and gumdrops. The world isn't impressed by that. The one who tries to dim the light of the world isn't beaten down by that. The world needs to see Jesus in us. Not just hear about Jesus in us. 
we have if we have our clay jar that we are and we have the light of the world and we have the clay the light of the world in us how does it work how does the world see that light it only happens when the clay jar is broken now i've had seasons in my life as a christian even where i struggled with one thing or another and I would go to trusted people who, and show them the, the broken side. Um, they probably could have wrecked me if they wanted to with, with the struggles that I was dealing with. I didn't care. That's the thing. I didn't care about only showing them the clean side. Because if that's all I showed, that's probably because that's all I have. It's kind of hard to see the light of Christ in there though, isn't it? But what does this willingness do? This willingness to show the broken side? It puts our weakness, our brokenness, against not our Sunday best, but against our Savior. Yale professor, uh, she's a philosophy professor, Marilyn Adams. She, she says it well. She says the Stoics accept suffering. The Epicureans, they said avoid suffering. The masochists said they embrace suffering for its own sake. The gospel does not accept suffering. The gospel does not avoid suffering. The gospel does not embrace suffering. The gospel engulfs suffering. The same way Jesus' resurrection engulfed death. So where do you need to turn that jar of clay around with God? Where do you need to embrace weakness to bring it to Jesus and experience the grace and the power made perfect in that place of your life. Whatever it is, he will hold it well. Trust Jesus with that place this week. That's your next step for this week, to trust Jesus with that place of your life, that weakness, that brokenness, and he will make life work in you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for loving us even in our weaknesses. Thank you for taking our weaknesses and displaying a power that is made perfect. Your power. Allow us to have the courage to show that to you, to offer that to you, so that you can work life through us. All this we pray in your name. Amen. <laughs>